0: Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Erin Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Erin interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA Today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Hi, Big Fish fans. Thanks for making time today to listen to my conversation with Jodi Brandstetter, the author of Hire by Design. Y'all, when Jerry Crispin endorses a book, I sit up and take notice. And you're going to love what Jodi has to say about her career journey and design thinking applied to recruiting. But first, a quick word of thanks to my sponsors, the Association of Talent Acquisition Professionals, or ATAP, and the Recruitment Process Outsourcing Association, or RPOA. Each offer great content and resources for researching vendors, technology, and the best-in-class approaches to TA. It's super easy to join and get plugged in, and I suggest you look them up and join as soon as possible, if you haven't already, at atapglobal.org, that's A-T-A-P-Global.org, and rpoassociation.org, R-P-O-A-S-S-O-C-I-A-T-I-O-N.org. Now, on to Jody Branstetter. Enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. I'm here with former recruiting leader turned consultant, author, and YouTuber, Jody Branstetter. Jodi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Would you please give my listeners an overview of who you are and what you do? Absolutely.
1: So I'm Jody Branstetter. I have a consulting company called Lean Effective Talent Strategies, and we focus on providing talent acquisition consulting to small to mid-sized companies in the Midwest, and we utilize design thinking as our methodology. And then we also have a community called Talent Acquisition Evolution, and it started off as a one-day conference, and it's now really an online community where we connect, learn, and work together so that we can really help our industry continue to thrive and continue to move forward and evolve. And i um, been in talent acquisition for 20 years. I am a Midwest girl, so I'm originally from Indiana, moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, go Bearcats. And I live here with my husband and my five-year-old daughter,
0: and her name is Lena. Really interesting background and and maybe just a little history for my listeners on how I came to have Jody on the podcast. I typically have heads of talent acquisition who are currently you know in that role, so it's it's very rare for me to have somebody who is not currently in a leadership role in a kind of a corporate uh, setting. But we connected recently regarding your book, which uh, we're going to talk about, definitely hiring by design. I have it on my Kindle, by the way. I'm a Kindle person, so I downloaded it and uh, am not quite finished, but uh, definitely made made some serious progress. I frequently receive requests from publicists regarding authors who want to talk about their book, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's really not my thing, um, not my focus. And what I find is if I look a little cl- more closely into the author of whatever book is being pitched, they have never hired a soul. And that's not okay with me. Like, I want to have talent acquisition experts here talking about um, all of the geeky stuff around TA. And I saw your background, which is rich in recruiting, in recruiting leadership, and then, of course, design thinking. So I thought, well, this will be fun. So tell us a little bit more about your background. You started originally in staffing, right? A deco? Yes.
1: So I, after I um, graduated college, um, got a job at a Deco placing tips in downtown Cincinnati and um, worked my way into um, doing a little bit more corporate recruiting in a high volume capacity. So I worked for a company, some people know, um, Sally May, uh, which turned into Navient. And so I was their employment specialist and we were hiring about 15 people every two weeks throughout the year. So it was very high volume. Um, and then transitioned over to a local organization that's definitely grown throughout the years, um, hiring inside sales um, individuals, which was total quality logistics. Circled my way back to staffing. So I really wanted to learn IT recruiting. So I went to a IT staffing agency. And then I am a boomerang. I went back to Sally Mae Naviant, um, where I actually was able to create a talent acquisition team from the ground up uh, for four of their subsidiaries. Uh, they were using an RPO. It wasn't working, unfortunately. Um, so we transitioned back in-house. Um, so I was there for an additional six years and then decided it was time for me to kind of
0: spread my wings and and become an entrepreneur and start my consulting business. And I I want to talk about that because I know it is maybe let's call it a little daydream or a fantasy of some talent acquisition leaders. They see consultants out there and they think, you know, maybe I'm going to chuck this corporate thing and become a consultant. My life would be so much easier if I did, or I, you know, want to leverage all my battle scars and experience. I often talk about battle scars. What was the catalyst for you? What made the, the decision in your mind in September of 2018 when you just decided, that's it, I'm going to jump in and become a consultant?
1: I had been really looking at being a consultant for a while. I absolutely loved my team. I loved my organization, um, but it was definitely high demanding. Um, there was a lot of work and there was a lot of stress. I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I loved it. In fact, as a consultant, I still have high stress. There's a lot of the pieces to consulting, um, but I really was ready to, one, be home more often um, with my child. I just, I didn't like traveling as much as I was um, anymore. And then two, I really wanted to take the the knowledge and experience that I, I received through all this you know, experience through Navient and through the other companies and help other companies here locally in the in the greater Cincinnati area. So it was really kind of a personal reason, as well as, you know, I I really wanted to help um,
0: solve some of the challenges we are facing here um, directly in, in the community. Okay, well thank you for that description because um you know we 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 try to be plain spoken here on the Big Fish podcast and let's face it, I mean there's a lot of stress in corporate roles. There's also plenty of stress as a consultant. I mean, if you're gonna do anything bold, there's stress involved, and uh we all get to make our choices. So it sounds to me like your decision to consult was a a lifestyle choice and b a Let's see if I can strike out and utilize all this good experience I've been getting decision. Is that right?
1: Absolutely, that was perfect. I probably should memorize that. <laughs> when I, when you I can have, have it I, for I free.
0: Yes. <laughs> it's all good. Um so when were you first exposed to design thinking? When I decided to start my consulting business,
1: uh, one of the things they they speak about is, you know, making yourself unique. You have to have something that of makes you different. And so I really wanted to find a methodology that I could use with my clients to help them with creating strong hiring processes. And I started researching and I found information about design thinking. And it really was kind of that aha moment of here is an amazing methodology that really is suited for talent acquisition and human resources. I went to a couple conferences and I actually heard some people speaking about it um, within the HR capacity. And that just got me even more excited about um, trying this out and putting it into my consulting business. And then I decided to take the leap and get certified through IDOU. Um, IDO is a design firm that has an online university that will really provide I think, really strong training around design thinking um, so that you can get certified and so you really have the, the principles down pat when you're going to start utilizing it, um, either through work or through school or however you're using design thinking.
0: Yeah, I'm a fan. I have to say, I think I was first exposed to IDO and IDOU, um, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or so. Actually, I think it was longer ago than that, that they were featured on 60 Minutes, right? Does that sound right to you? Have you seen that um, <laughs> I video? Do, actually. It's all yeah. about re- redesigning the shopping cart. Mm-hmm. And so I think the initial impression that some people have about IDEO is that it's all about products, but it's not, is it? It's the uh, design principles are absolutely applicable to processes as well. Absolutely. I mean, there is a
1: piece of design thinking that's more service design. And I think that really, Blends well when you're looking at talent acquisition and the experiences that we face throughout the hiring or selection process, as well as the process itself. With you know creating something that's going to be human focused as well as business focused, it just it really does just go blend really well into what we do and how we how we should really be focused on hiring and providing that, that candidate experience um, by thinking of the person and not just, you know, the technology or um, the business, you know, really kind of looking at looking at it holistically.
0: I also work with my clients using design thinking methodology. And, you know, the, the, the thing that we try to think about all the time, you, you mentioned humanizing, you know, really thinking about it from a um, user perspective. And what I try to do is think about it from a removing all the friction perspective. I, I think what design thinking does is it kind of forces you to put yourself in the shoes of the recipient of whatever the service is. In our case, it's recruitment process. Where's the friction? How can we remove that friction? How can we think differently? And so as I read the book, so your initial chapter, and, and we're going to talk about this, the, the whole challenge statement, start with the words, how might we? So talk about that a little bit. What, what, what's the concept behind a challenge statement to help you reframe what the issue is?
1: Yeah, so a challenge statement is really putting together a nice, structured, focused problem statement that you're trying to solve. And when you're looking at the challenge statement, the reason why it starts with how might we is because first we want to be inclusive. We want to take everyone's thoughts and ideas um, and be able to find the best solution for that problem or that challenge. And then what you're trying to do is come up with a structure where You're open enough so that there can be some creativity. There can be some out of the box ideas, but focused enough so that you can actually solve the problem. I like to kind of think of the challenge statement as the um, three bears. So, you know, is it too broad? Is it too specific or is it just right? So, you know, really, you know, looking at it in that Goldilocks perspective really helps you kind of hone in enough so that you can actually solve the problem, but then give just enough space for you to really be able to play with it. And then you want to ensure that you're not trying to solve the problem for everyone because you can't do that, and I think that's something that we try to do in HR and talent acquisition all the time is how can we solve it for every single candidate? <laughs> and it's just we're all different. So if it's you know focusing on maybe, a specific location that you're trying to solve, increasing quality hires within a specific role? Or, you know, are you trying to increase the number of candidates? So the quantity in a specific area. So so you want it to be focused enough so that you know what you're trying trying to solve. You want it open enough so you can be creative, think outside of the box. And you don't want it to actually answer the question That you're trying to solve. So um, it really is this nice kind of beginning phase of getting everyone open and everyone on the same page to hopefully be able to solve the problem that you're
0: facing. Right. Really important because if we have a group of 10 people and we all think we're solving a different issue or we haven't agreed on what the specific wording is around the problem statement or challenge statement, then uh, we're going to go off in different directions, which is not good. And I, I really appreciate your point about targeting who we're solving it for, and uh, I'm guessing that is what is driving the ability or the, the the need to come up with personas. So talk about the persona development that you have experienced.
1: Personas are really key to making sure that you are targeting the right audience when you're either doing recruitment marketing or you're creating a strategy to Find candidates for a position. And the persona, you really kind of, we're taking that from the marketing side. So, you know, they do customer personas. I think theirs are a little bit more specific because they might even say male age 45. I mean, obviously, we we shouldn't be doing that (laughs) in hiring, Um, but we can take personas and say, okay, who is our ideal candidate? Where are they? Where can we find them? How can we? Interact with them, you know. And what are some ways that we can ensure that we have a process that they're going to be interested in moving forward and continuing on with us? Um. So I, um, in the book, I do have templates in the back that you know you can use to kind of help move forward in that design thinking and talent acquisition kind of um, focus. And one of them is a candidate persona, and I made it as simple as i possibly could because i want this to be something where people really are open to discovery so like step 1 is define your ideal candidate step 2 locate ideal candidate step 3 how to engage your candidate and then step 4 potential sourcing strategies to pursue so it's really just kind of understanding who that person is where are they and then being able to come up with strategies to attract them or to find them to tell them about your your company and the position. Right. And I feel like you can have tiers of personas. You can have kind of that here's, you know, here's the values that we look for in anyone joining our organization. So that tier, but then there's definitely specific areas you want to focus if you're looking for a software developer or if you're looking for a project manager or a salesperson. That's when you're really kind of digging in. And the only other thing I want to talk about with personas too, is that you can have more than one persona for a position. If you're hiring for a sales role, there might be two or three personas that you can go after, depending on what type of skill set you're looking for. So you really don't want to have, you don't want to think of it as I only have one persona for each position. You really want to look at what are the different personas can, that I can attract that would work within this role and be successful joining our organization?
0: Okay, And what I've seen is that the persona focuses more on the qualitative characteristics of the individual. as you say, what you know where not where are they physically, but more, where are they in their career? What do they care about? How do they engage? What's going to be important to them in an offer, for example, And that we do know, especially if we have a lot of data on our hires, maybe what the likely characteristics of that person could be. How do you recommend that talent acquisition organizations interpret or gather that data and then interpret it into a persona?
1: With a persona, I would definitely be gauging the hiring manager to understand you know, obviously, what the, you know, it's like your intake conversation, but you might be adding some additional questions around who has been successful in their department, why, where did they come from, what kind of background did they have. So, your hiring manager can absolutely give you some really good insights to, you know, kind of what they're looking for and what their ideal candidate looks like. Um, once you kind of have that understanding, you could, you know, absolutely interview current individuals that are within that position, gauge them, understand what they do, why did they join the organization? Were there any, you know, pieces of the process that worked really well, didn't work? Um, so really, kind of understanding who you've already hired, then you know that role, and then I think you can also be going to, you know, review online, some pieces, be able to go to maybe some communities. Like if it is a sales professional in a specific industry, you can start tapping industry-specific information, possibly interview people outside of your organization who may be in a similar role or hire similar positions. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really is kind of doing a, a deep dive research. And then what you do is you hold on to that information so that once you hire that position and that person's in the role you can interview that person gather more information and then if they have an additional position open up down the road you already have a lot of research ready to go you're just now building up on it
0: yeah okay well thank you for that multi point data collection description because you know my my first thought if we rely solely on the hiring manager for the persona input is that we do risk that just like me syndrome mm-hmm. that we've seen before. And I also find that organizations that are looking toward the future don't necessarily always want to rely on the past to describe who it is that they want to go find. So I, I like your approach. You want to you want to get internal and external touch points to be able to create this ideal persona. Um, And then it it helps you know where to go to find the person. Is that right? Absolutely. And then
1: those external people you're talking
0: to may actually be candidates
1: that you're talking to that will want that role. So you're you're exploring with them, but you might actually be getting them excited about this opportunity because they're seeing you as someone who's open and willing to learn from them. So it, it can actually be a great sourcing strategy at the same time.
0: So kind of an exciting development, I have a new sponsor, Big Fish in the Talent Pool podcast is brought to you this month by our buddies at Paradox, makers of the conversational AI assistant, Olivia, that I know you've heard of. And joining me today is Paradox Chief Marketing Officer, Josh Swain. Hey, Josh. Hey there. Tell my listeners a little bit more about this Olivia character. I've been a fan for a long time, but not everybody knows about her. So how would you describe Olivia and the benefits
2: she brings? Yeah, sure. Like I think the easiest way to think about her is like uh, the assistant that we have in our pocket every day. We have Siri, we have Alexa in our homes. And those assistants are are there to help us get things done, whether it's turn lights on or change the temperature or whatever. Olivia is just an assistant for recruiters and recruiting teams and candidates. Um, so if you think about all the the stuff in the recruiting process that nobody really enjoys, you know, whether it's screening resumes or scheduling interviews or, you know, just making sure the candidates are up to speed on what's going on. Olivia can play a really important role there. And she's helping uh, companies like Unilever and CVS Health and McDonald's kind of up and down the, the recruiting chain, get that work done.
0: Wow, very cool. Sounds like I need my own Olivia, actually. So how can our listeners learn more?
2: Sure. Yeah, the easiest way is just to go to our website, Paradox.ai. But we actually built a, a little custom experience for your listeners, too. So if anybody wants to try Olivia out and, and meet her for themselves, they can text Big Fish, all one word, to 25,000 on their smartphone. And Olivia will respond, and you can, you can get a sense of what she can do.
0: All right, Josh. I am so excited for that. And uh, thanks very much for your partnership. And we'll talk to you next week.
2: Of course, Aaron, Thank you.
0: And where I've also seen personas really be helpful is when you have large scale recruiting. So you've got a particular profile and you need a hundred of those mm-hmm. people. So that can really help you with targeted sourcing. You you talk in the book about uh, one, one of your chapters is about recruitment marketing strategy with storyboards. Can you say more about what the role of a storyboard is in recruitment marketing and, and also sourcing? Absolutely. So
1: a storyboard is a way for you to paint the picture of what you're looking at for a solution, or the you're able to gain the insights from your, you know, learning about your audience, which let's just go ahead and go with that candidate persona. And now you're kind of putting that candidate persona into a process and showing it in a storyboard format. So if you are looking to add new technology to your deck and it's a a candidate experience technology and you're trying to get the buy-in from leadership, one way you can do that is to create a storyboard so that they can see exactly how that's going to impact the candidate through the process. So it really is It looks like a cartoon kind of, Um, and you're, you're just kind of, and you have little, you know, what I traditionally do is I'll, you know, write what I think the person's saying and just kind of showing how that experience is going to happen.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So it helps them picture for themselves how it's all going to go. Correct. And allows them, I would imagine, to poke some holes, ask some questions.
1: Absolutely. It's all about feedback. So once you kind of paint that picture, show that story, that's when you can get feedback from people and they can say, I don't know if that person really would enjoy that or maybe they would ask this question instead. So you really start to understand, Okay, this is what the service or that experience is going to look like. But it really helps people visualize it. And it's super cheap easy to do. Um, My favorite place to do a storyboard is on Canva.com, which is free. And they have um, storyboard templates right there that you can use so that you can at least kind of see that picture. And it could be something that you use internally with your team just so they can see this. This is where we see this technology going and, and maybe help them. Understand how this technology is going to play a role in their position to actually the decision maker, um, and then also just kind of making decisions on touch points within the candidate
0: journey. And I've seen storyboards be used not only to get buy in to the whole concept of, of whatever it is that you're proposing, but also as part of the prototyping process. And I know prototyping is a, a sort of a, a hallmark of design thinking. Um, can you talk about the whole concept of prototyping and failing fast and iteration and sort of that that end of the process that you can um, learn a lot from?
1: Yes, absolutely. So if we kind of continue with the storyboard and you have a, a new candidate experience that you're you're adding you're wanting to add, you can what you're trying to accomplish when you're using design thinking is to be able to come up with these new innovative ideas. And be able to either go with them to the solution or realize they're not going to work and move forward to another one. So that's that fail fast. I'm pretty sure that there's no company out there who is going to raise their hand and say, I want you to go through a whole new process, create a solution so that we can fail immediately in front of our candidates or in front of our customers. You know, So this is a way to do it ahead of time um, right. and be able to see it. Prototypes are cheap, they're easy. You know, if you're looking at creating an app, you're not actually creating the app, you're drawing the app. You're just making something look like what the app would look like. You know, when I was going through the IDOU training, one of the things they showed was literally they created with um, cardboard a fake iPhone with a hole in it, and the person standing there and acting like They're the chatbot or they're the person that, you know, they're talking to just for a feel. So Mm -hmm. it really is supposed to be cheap, easy. Again, going back, going to the stakeholders, asking, what do you think? How do you like it? Any concerns? You know, gathering that feedback and realizing we got something here that we can tweak and move forward. Or you realize, oh my gosh, we didn't even think about that situation. We got to go back. We're scrapping it and we're going to come up with a new solution. So it really is that that ability to try things out before actually getting it in front of t- in front of your customer or in front of your candidate.
0: Good. And and that then feeds into the concept of empathy which is I think typically part of the development of a persona that you you want to engage empathy to put yourself in the shoes of the person who's receiving the service but the prototyping ties into that i you know Nicole Desain is one of my favorite voices in this space as well and she talks about creating an online application that is mobile enabled and actually uh that she has put on a pair of glasses that has been smudged significantly smudged so that she can uh, put herself in the shoes of somebody who might be visually impaired, and try and figure out if there's a way to improve the online application that's mobile for someone who doesn't see as well as everybody else. So you know, it's those kinds of things that make you sort of not make assumptions, and I think make us better at what we do. And it's just so important, in, especially in this, in these times of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and not assuming everybody's the same. There's so many different ways that design thinking can help within the different
1: areas of hiring. It just makes me so excited (laughs) whenever I get to talk about it, because I don't think people understand how much it correlates. But at the same time, I really feel like a lot of us in TA have been using design thinking without knowing it and not using it fully, but in a full capacity.
0: So. It's just, it's fun to talk about this stuff. Sorry, I get so excited. <laughs> no, it, it, your passion is evident and, and I love it. And it is what we need because as we've said many times on this podcast, recruiting is hard. You know, if you're not doing it, you you wonder, well, how hard could it be to hire a bunch of people? It's actually pretty hard. Yes, But at the same time, I think it's incumbent upon TA leaders to figure out how to remove as much friction as possible from that process. So, what's what's the most, one, one of the most innovative things you've seen come out of design thinking? Who's really getting this right, in your opinion?
1: And then I just um, listened to another podcast, and it was, I think it was head of talent at GitLab, which I might be saying that wrong. They have removed the apply now button, and all they have now is a talent community button. So, they've shifted their mindset to outbound recruiting. And then allowing people to show interest and be put into their talent community so that their team can source it. But it really is, you know, pushing them to be looking at candidates, reaching out to them uh, versus being that resume review um, person, which I think a lot of people think recruiters are. I don't know how I feel about that yet. (laughs) I just listened to it yesterday, but it was super interesting to think about kind of shifting that script to more of people raising their hands, saying, I'm really interested in the organization. And then the recruiter being able to do more heavy sourcing and finding those real, those candidate personas, those ideal candidates um, versus shifting,
0: going through resumes. Um, So I thought that was intriguing. That's a really interesting example. I'm looking at it as you're talking about it, actually. And it is it looks like it. there is an ability to apply directly, but more of what they're asking for you to do is to click on a particular role uh, to see, quote, what we're looking for. So it's sort of an information push as opposed to a push to apply. But then to join the talent community, I think, puts you in the pool for really anything you'd be qualified for. So then the onus is on the talent acquisition team to do the matching, and i think we know there are a lot of great matching technologies out there right now um, eightfold seekout some others what, it, it, tell, what what kind of technologies are you loving these days what what are what are you talking to your clients about a lot of my clients so i work with a lot of small to mid midsize organizations
1: so they have between 300 to 1000 employees traditionally. So a lot of my conversations are just TA technology and why they need it. Um, So so a lot of it's, you know, ensuring applicant tracking systems, you know, things like that. Um, I did just work with um, one of my clients on finding a pre-employment assessment. And so we kind of utilized design thinking, I did brainstorming, um, and we ended up, choosing Pymetrics for them. They're an innovative hub. Um, They do a lot of startup type work and um, Pymetrics just really fit nicely into what they were looking to discover about their candidates. And they enjoyed the overall candidate experience with playing the games. And it really gave them more of a, what they felt like a realistic view of the person versus some of the other assessments that just asked like, how do you feel or how would you rank yourself? So so I'm really digging Pymetrics right now because I've been spending a lot of quality time with them um, and implementing this with my client But yeah, I just, I usually am just focused on, okay, what's going to help that organization at that point. We've done a lot of recruitment marketing, which is more just working directly with their marketing teams to ensure that they have an employer brand. Um, so they're using more of their marketing tools than actually the talent acquisition technology. Um, so it really is a piece of, you know, what do you have currently today? Is it working? If not, let's seek out and find something
0: better high metrics. have to admit, I haven't encountered them yet, so I'm definitely going to look them up. Very interesting. And so let's go back a little bit in your career, Jodi, and, and talk a little bit about what you've learned from your leadership experience. Let's say an ambitious recruiter wants to be a leader in talent acquisition and contacts you for advice. How, how would you advise them? What, what would you say you've learned and, and you know, what advice would you give?
1: The advice I would probably provide Would be to one, really ensure that they under the understand their role and they excel in their role because that's who they're going to be managing once they become a leader. Um, So really taking the time to understand the whole hiring process, understand what different parts of the you know, understand the business and what the business needs from talent acquisition. So first it would be do you know your the company's goals? Do you know their vision, their mission, their values? Can you be can you literally stand up in 5 minutes and explain to me why I would want to work for this organization through your own lens?
0: Yeah. So the that, elevator you,
1: Yes, absolutely. And and then be able to truly really have that knowledge of the areas that they recruit for and be that relationship builder with the hiring managers in the the departments then I would also say you have to know recruiting and talent acquisition. So you have to be getting out there, reading articles, taking trainings, you know, really paying attention to what's happening and how our industry is moving forward, networking, building, you know, areas of where you should be looking for content. And then I would probably tell them that um, they really need to understand what it means to be a leader and how they should lead by example. Um, that a leader position isn't the person who's in a meeting all day and who's not getting their hands dirty. Um, I think, you know, that was something I really prided myself as a leader it was my hands were already always dirty. I was always, <laughs> that sounds so weird, doesn't it? I was always in the, in the trenches with my team. You know, if they needed help. I helped them because that was the only way for me to know what was going on and if I could help them find better solutions um, or if I could be their cheerleader to get new technology or be able to paint the picture in front of the hiring manager as to why we're having such a difficult time finding this position. So you really have to be willing to stay on top of recruiting and be a part of that process and be in, you know, with your team in order to be a truly successful leader, especially if you're that middle manager. You know, obviously, once you get to a different level, you know, you might not be able to get in the trenches, but that's when you expect your team, the middle managers doing it for you, so that they can come to you and you guys can solve problems. I've had amazing managers, and I've had horrible managers. So I learned from both. <laughs> what do you want to do and what do you not want to do? I think that that really helps you kind of make sure that, you know, you're going to be a leader that people respect and want to work for.
0: Right. You talk about staying sharp and knowing what's going on in talent acquisition. What are some of your favorite sources for the hot topics in TA?
1: So I go to ere.net, um, you know, I think they have wonderful content, but also some amazing um, webinars, um, conferences. I do try to go to conferences when I can. Um, you know, one thing, you know, as a consultant, you know, no one pays for my conferences like I used to as a corporate um, leader, so I have to pay for it myself. So a lot of times, I'll actually try to speak so I can get a free ticket and then be able to still learn. Um, but I try to go to different conferences online. There are, you know, Facebook. There's a couple different groups that I'm in. Um, the Talent Brand. Um, I'm also in the Recruiting Brain Food, which I think has a lot of really cool insights. And
0: one of my favorites, for sure, Hung Lee is amazing. I love his
1: site. By His site's amazing. He has lists that are just so cool. I mean, he has a podcast list. By the way, your podcast is on it. Um, <laughs> he has conference lists. <laughs> and um, so, I mean, so that was, that's a really good one just to be able to find. Um, podcasts, I love podcasts. I enjoy chat and cheese. They make me laugh, but I also learn at the same time. Um, obviously, your podcast is amazing. So I think it's really just being willing to Google and find what's out there. Um, I learned a lot from vendors too. a lot of vendors do some amazing case studies. You know, I also love Rally Recruitment Marketing. Sylvia does an amazing job there. I'm a huge fan of the talent board and Kevin Grossman. Um, A lot of my data and my books from that um, from that group with their research. So that's another key, key one that I look at as well.
0: Great. Well, wow, that's quite a list. And and I thanks for the shout out. By the way, I <laughs> that, that was not planned. Um, but um, you know, one of the things, is and, and to the point that you mentioned about going to conferences and sometimes they're expensive. I mean, if there's any silver lining around the pandemic, it's that a bunch of stuff has gone online, right? The, yes. The candy awards, the talent board is. Offered a couple of virtual events, recruiting automation conferences free. A ATAP has a bunch of web webinars. Mm-hmm. Uh, RPOA has a bunch of webinars. And, and all these conferences, you know, except for a couple of them, have really become free. And it's one of those things where you're like, there's a lot of value there. And I think the world might have changed now in terms of how we view the need and the ability to pay for, you know, big expensive conferences that require an airplane. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's always fun to get together in person, but things being what they are, it, it sure is great. I think that we haven't lost the ability to exchange big ideas just because we can't get together in person. Correct. Yeah.
1: And, and I think we'll continue that virtual path. But I, I do agree that there's probably going to be maybe instead of like every year and in, in person, maybe it's every other year. But, you know, I do miss seeing people in person. I do miss hugging people. So, you know, you know, there's definitely some things that I want to be able to do continue. But yeah, I agree. I think this has really opened our eyes to a lot of new ways of getting content learning, but also recruiting too. Um, so it's it's been, you know, obviously it's been a rough year, but I think we've definitely have, you know, a lot of companies, a lot of organizations have taken it as a way to, you know, let's see how can we continue to thrive what are the ways that we can change or come up with new ideas to, to continue to be available and continue to
0: provide the content we want? Right. Speaking of content, the book. A lot of people have a little daydream or desire or think they might have a big idea that they want to write a book about someday. How did you do, How did that go for you? Did you find time to do it? Did you block time and sit down? I mean, you know, talk about it practically. How did you get that book done? What was your method? So 2020 was not the year that I thought I would
1: write a book. It wasn't on my, my goals or my to-do's. I actually received a message through LinkedIn from a book coach asking to connect and decided to have a conversation with her. She provided me with an understanding that I could write a book. I really believed that before I wrote this book. If you asked me if I could, I would say no, there's no way. But she gave me the tools in order to do a book. So I had a book coach. She gave me really great information on how to first build an outline and really kind of cover each chapter and what kind of content you wanted to put in your chapter. She had encouraged me to set aside 2 hours a day for like 5 or 6 days where I would, you know, go to a happy place, like a coffee shop or my office, whatever my happy place was, and to start writing. Because if you consistently write at the same time, your brain starts to just, it just becomes natural for you to be writing at that point. And so I had all these amazing tools, I had my outline done. And then it was March, and the pandemic became what it was. And I had a five year old come home to me and spend the rest of the the spring and summer with us. And so at that point, it was, I've already started this, I got to get it done. So I literally fought for time. You know, I instead of having two hours a day, I literally would just take the weekends and write as much as I could so that, you know, I could spend the, the weekdays with my daughter while my husband worked. So it was definitely a little bit more of a struggle. But since I had the outline done, that really Kind of set me in a path to succeed. That really helped me do that. So I actually wrote my book between March and May. Um, so it was a couple months of writing. And then I had an amazing um, editor. And the book coach helped me with the whole, you know, getting it on Amazon and, and getting it formatted. Yeah, it, it definitely took time, energy, and patience. And you had to have thick skin when the editor put so much red on your paper <laughs> um, and that you had to redo things. Uh, but it's really doable. I'm going to go ahead and do a really quick, shameless plug. I um, decided with the evolution that we were going to do a, a influence network, which is like an online community uh, for leaders and talent acquisition, where we're really just kind of getting our tools together to show ourselves as experts and to you know, become thought leaders. And at the very end, I'm actually going to publish a multi-author book because I feel like I have the tools now that I could be a publisher. We'll see what happens in December. Um, but Erin, it, it's going to happen. But, okay, um, good tease.
0: Well done.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, but you know it, it was one of those things where you think you can't do it because it just seems so overwhelming. But I think you can. I really feel like people can actually write a book if they want to. And my book's not long. I, I call it air. I call it a plane ride. Um, read. Uh, I wanted executives to read it uh, versus 300 page book or something. Um, so that's the other thing. You don't have to, you know, put tons of content in there to make it a book. Put what you think you mean for the right audience, and and it'll it'll move forward. So yeah, and shockingly, I was able to be bestseller um, when I launched the book. Which again, that's a whole process of being able to do that. So it was, it was really a proud moment, but. If I can do it, I really feel like Aaron, everyone can do it.
0: <laughs> wow. So, Well, I, for one, am inspired. And uh, I want to thank you for taking the time, stealing the time, finding the time to sit down, discipline yourself and write it. Because um, I think the content is great and your story is inspiring. And the book is called, just to remind everybody, Hiring by Design, Jody Branstetter. Take a look on Amazon, super easy to download in a nanosecond on my Kindle. And I suppose if you want to get the hardcover or the, I guess it's paperback, right? Mm-hmm. Version. Yes. So it's easy to get as well. And um, just uh, just a terrific initiative. Thank you for, uh, for for being that person who overcame all of the internal obstacles <laughs> that we all put up for ourselves, right? To uh, To make it happen. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. And good luck to you in your future and also in what sounds like a planned uh, sequel to Hiring by Design. And this just been a pleasure to know you and to talk with you about what you're doing in your career, in your life. And I I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate
1: your time and, and being a part of this wonderful podcast.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ere.net and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Erin directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Erin on Twitter at Erin McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.